Hello and welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast. I'm Eric Smith. And I'm Taylor Muggy. And we're excited to bring you four episodes this week, all of them from our men's retreat that took place this year on January 22nd through 24th. In those chapel messages, Paul Bauman from the EFCA Central District spoke on overcoming four misconceptions concerning God's requirements for men. This is message number two and was recorded on Saturday, January 23rd. The main theme is the role of anger in our lives. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy the message. Well, thank you, Scott. I, I agree with that prayer, and uh, thank you for leading in worship. And love the violin. That, that, was, that was awesome. I haven't, met the, I haven't met the violin guy, but nice job. <laughs> Before we jump in, um, I, I don't know what it was, but when... When it was announced that we ran out of gravy, I was overwhelmed with pride. I thought, <laughs> has there ever been a time in history at Hidden Acres that at a women's retreat, they said, sorry, ladies, we ran out of gravy this morning? Probably not. Yogurt, maybe. Uh, granola, but not gravy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, take your Bibles if you have them with you or whatever you have for that as far as electronic. And, and I want to I jump into Ephesians 4, but before that, um, I want to share a, a moment in my life here recently that is definitely not one of my finer uh, moments, but it speaks to the reality of the issue of, of anger that we're going to be thinking about uh, together this morning. Um, about a month ago, it was, I know for a fact, it was after the election. You guys know there was an election this year, right? Yeah. So it was at least a week after the election. Um, I had a meeting with an individual in a coffee shop in Des Moines. It's a, it's a young guy uh, that uh, is planning a church in the Des Moines area, a free church in the Des Moines area. Really, really neat guy. And uh, so we were going to meet and talk through some things, uh, strategy things. So I decided to arrive early because I don't have an office. I work out of the house and sometimes I just need to get out of there. And uh, I showed up at this coffee uh, shop and I noticed on the way into the coffee shop and I I'm, I'm pay attention to these kinds of things. I'm kind of a detail guy. But I noticed on the, on the, the window, it talked about the need to wear a mask. And, and some places say mask required. And other places say if you don't, you, you get the sense, if you don't wear a mask in here, you will never walk out of here alive. You know what I'm talking about? It's just this attitude. And it was one of those places, but they have great coffee, so I was willing to deal with that. I, I put on the mask even before I got in and I was walking in, um, but because it's cooler, I tend to put the mask off of my nose. Otherwise, my glasses fill up, and then I'm just walking in blind, basically. I walked up to the counter um, to order a cup of coffee, and I, I ordered a coffee, and I think ordered a muffin as well, and so the gal told me my total, and then she stopped behind plexiglass, um, and she said to me, but in order for me to continue to serve you, I'm going to need you to take that mask and pull it up over your nose. Okay, so, no, it wasn't Starbucks. So, um, <laughs> so as I, st I stood there, I did that. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to be the guy who, who raises a scene, and so I took it and I pulled it up, and sure enough, Immediately, my glasses begin to fog over, and now I've got to lean down on this iPad with these fat little fingers of mine and try and figure out how to sign and do all this stuff. And immediately, 
I became angry. You know how that is? Like you're, you're totally fine. Everything is fine. Your temperature, your body temperature is good. You're looking forward to just enjoying a cup of coffee and, and, and a muffin. And, and, uh, and there I am. She tells me that I have to do this, and I instantly became angry. And then as I'm trying to, to look, I took my glasses off. Well, I'm 50, so I can't see without them, but I can hardly see with them because I got bifocals, and I have to have the right angle, and I don't want to be this guy because my kids warned me about doing that. And so I got all these things going through my head. And I find myself punching through the numbers and, and totaling. And of course, it asked, do you want to give a tip? And I wanted to choose a box. No way ever do I want to give a tip. But it just said no tip. So I hit no tip. And I sat down. And I got more and more angry. And, and I'm not talking about the kind of, hey, that was rude. That was terrible customer service kind of anger. I'm talking in all seriousness, like burn this place down angry. I, I was furious. And the longer I sat there, the more angry I became. Um, the gentleman that I was meeting with finally showed up, and uh, as he walked in, I said, don't make sure your mask is on over your nose. Um, and and uh, he kind of looked at me and came back, and I told him the story. We had our meeting, but my anger was so prevalent that it actually seeped into our conversation. Um, I was cynical. Uh, my attitude was not right, and so as, as I was uh, on my way back to the house, I just really felt like I needed to apologize uh, to this guy, and so I, when I got home, I shot him a text and said, hey, I need to chat with you, and, and, and connected with him, and I apologized. But as I was thinking about my anger towards her, here was my immediate thought, and this is our, our second misconception that I want to focus on this morning. My immediate thought, as, as here I am, I've been, I've been a... I've been a, a follower of Jesus Christ since the age of 13. My immediate thought was, why am I so angry? Why am I getting this way? And my conclusion in that, and this is my misconception for our time, is that anger is sinful and I can't be angry. I've got to stop being angry. I spent the better part of that rest of that day into the next day just thinking about that and processing that. And I was so frustrated and disappointed in my attitude. And honestly, I gave you guys kind of the PG version in all seriousness. I was furious. I just was absolutely furious. In the several years of ministry that God has given me to serve the local church, I've had the privilege to meet with several men through the years who've come to my office for help and for counsel. And I can tell you without a doubt, without a doubt, the number one reason the majority of men come to see me outside of pornography is anger. And they say this to me, how do I stop being so angry and many of them come because their spouse has sent them or they're an older uh, man or they're they're an older a, a youth and so a parent has sent them and said listen if you don't get this straightened out we just can't be around you anymore it's that pervasive uh, in their life in the book of Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4 in particular we find the apostle Paul has laid out a great summary in chapters one through three of who we are in Christ and the work of Christ in us. And we keep emphasizing that it's all about Jesus. And in the final three chapters, he goes on to describe how our new nature is lived out practically, especially in the context of interpersonal uh, relationships. 
And as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, a familiar text I'm sure to many of you, especially concerning the issue of anger, the Apostle Paul deals with this issue, but he does so in the context of the reality that we need the Spirit of God to produce the life in us. And so I want to pick up the context in verse 17 and read through verse 27, and then I want to make three observations about anger as we seek to confront the misconception that anger is sinful, so I have to stop being angry. Verse 17, reading in the New Living Translation, it says, with the Lord's authority, Paul says, let me say this, live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong, and they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. He transitions. But that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus, throw off or put off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display or choose a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. So then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. All right, three observations. Here's the first one about anger. Anger, as we look at this passage, moves quickly from being useful to being sinful. Anger moves quickly from being useful to being sinful. It's clear in the passage that Paul is saying where anger is present, potentially a sinful situation exists in your life. There is a sense of urgency about this passage when it comes to the presence of anger in our lives. And I think this is kind of where the foundation is laid for this misconception, I can't be angry. But I want you to notice, even though there's a sense of urgency, don't miss out on the reality that the Apostle Paul is making room for the fact that anger can also be useful. It can be useful. In the context, it would suggest that we shouldn't be angry or allow anger to control us, but he also says, in your anger, do not sin. Observation number two. Anger is always a secondary emotion. Anger is always a secondary emotion. One of the best books I've ever read on anger is called Good and Angry by Dr. David Paulison. And he defines anger in this way. Anger expresses, I'm against that. It is an active stance that one takes in regard to something that one determines to be important and wrong. An example of that would be if you're ever driving on the interstate and somebody wildly cuts in front of you or cuts you off. What is your reaction to that? 
Well, we initially, if you're being honest, it's anger, right? <laughs> you're not saying, oh, praise the Lord, a trial. <laughs> and don't be that guy who's cutting people off. No, immediately when we see this, we respond in anger, and it feels like the first thing we're feeling is anger, but it's not anger. Uh, I was up visiting a pastor, one of the pastors up in North uh, West Iowa, and on my way back, I had to get back onto I-35, and I was going south because I live in Pleasant Hill. And as I was getting back onto the interstate, I could see a truck coming down the interstate, and it was in my lane that I had to get onto. And so I was assuming at some point no one was there that he was going to move over. And as I was cruising and building up speed to get onto the interstate in my little eco-friendly Toyota Camry, so I'm trying and trying to get on there, <coughs> I get up to the top and I realize that he hasn't got over and right in front of me is not much of a shoulder and there's, there's some snow and it's going to be uh, quite a mess. So I had to step on the brakes, get behind him, and then slide over. Instantly, I was filled with anger. But the first emotion that I really felt in that moment, I was fearful. Yes, I was afraid. But what overpowers is the anger. It overwhelms. This is why individuals, hear this, who try not to be angry always end up getting angrier. Because anger is never really the issue. It's a secondary emotion. They never deal, ultimately, with the real problem. When guys would come into my office for the se first several years of ministry, I used to give them a worksheet on how to stop being angry. I deleted that and I've never passed it out again because I wasn't helping them. It's kind of like serenity now, if you will. It doesn't work. Third observation concerning anger. Anger can only control us, Paul says, if we allow it to. Now, not because our flesh is something, but because of the new nature we have in the work of Christ in us. That's why. If you look at the text again, Paul talks about the fact, he says, don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. The inference in the text, and, and he's quoting from a psalm and, and re referencing a psalm, is the reality is that we have control over anger, but anger longs for control over us. And when it gains control over us, it gives an opportunity for the enemy to gain a mighty foothold in our life. This is that spirit flesh thing we were talking about last night. Sometimes it seems like anger is in control and maybe you've come to this retreat this weekend and you would have to say, I have an issue with anger. I feel like I have no control over my anger. I want to suggest to you this morning, you do. You do. In Christ, we are to exercise control over anger. In Christ, we are to exercise control over anger. And the warning that Paul is putting forth in the text cannot be overstated. It's only when we refuse to respond properly to anger do we allow it to control our lives. Here's the reality you need to understand this morning. Every single bitter person you have ever met in your life is bitter because they chose to take that path. It is not their circumstances that have made them bitter. Have they contributed to that? Absolutely. 
I'm not suggesting that that is not the case. But they have chosen that life because they have refused to respond properly to anger. Those of you that were here at the pastors and wives retreat, which would have been pastors or wives, and there's no wives here, heard a little bit of my story. I grew up in a home where we walked on eggshells. Anybody else know that feeling? Where every time you interacted with your father, the barometer was if the day was going well, it was going to be a good day, but if it wasn't going well, oh man. The impact, the effect of anger is significant. Of the four sessions I'm going to speak this weekend, this is the one that is probably the nearest and dearest to my heart in the sense of dealing with anger, living with anger, and now having to deal with it in my own life as well. But the reality is concerning anger, it feels as if it's in control, but Paul reminds us in this passage, because of who we are in Christ and because of the work of the Spirit in us, we do not have to allow anger to control us. All right, so here's what I wanna do. I wanna think through with you our response. And, and, and in your questions this morning, when you break out, I really thought intentionally, I, I did it with all of them, but this is the ones that I spent the most time I feel on because I, I feel like in order for this weekend to have a significant impact in your life, you need to walk away from here knowing how to deal with this issue and have a plan. And so that's one of the focuses in the question, the small group time. But I wanna think through this with you to kind of prepare you for that is how should we respond? Well, there's two pathways I would suggest and maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Um, so I'm open to suggestions after we're done. But the passage seems to offer two pathways. One that's maybe more, uh, not necessarily as clear, but it's implied in the passage. And the other pathway is very clear in the passage. It's very directly stated. The first pathway for dealing with anger is, is negative. It's the wrong way. And the first pathway is the pathway of making it personal. We take anger and we make it personal. It is important to remember as we think about anger and understand how to deal with it, recognizing that being angry is not necessarily sinful. It can, in fact, be useful. That the choice that we have in that moment as we submit ourselves to the Spirit is that Paul is not dealing with, the primary concern here is not feeling angry. It's how we act on this issue of anger. And when we experience anger in our flesh, we will always choose to make it personal. Back to the coffee shop. There was something in that moment when she told me to pull my mask over my nose that immediately it became personal for me. And when she would walk back and forth, I was not concerned about where she would spend eternity. I was not concerned about her as a person or her heart. I was furious. I made it personal. Frederick Buchner said about the danger of making anger personal this. He said of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are woofing down at this feast is yourself. 
and the skeleton at the feast is you. So the question this morning is, have you made anger personal? Here's what I've noticed about anger. My coffee shop moment was a series of events. Anger is deceptive because our enemy is deceptive. If the enemy was so obvious and overt, it would be easier to understand and recognize, but he's not painted that way in the scriptures. His, his methodology is, is deceitful. It's subtle, but it's effective if we give in to it. Anger has a way first of simmering in our hearts. I came across this list many years ago. I don't know who, it's not for me, so I'm, I'm giving props to somebody. I don't know who, who came up with this. But it's a list of indirect expressions of anger. See if any of these describe you this morning to see if you've made it personal in your life. The first one is stubbornness, but let me define. Stubbornness is a determina ter determination to resist no matter what. Even if you agree you're resisting, you're just being a jerk. Or as my wife sometimes says, you're just being a butt. <laughs> Stubbornness. Impatient. Impatience has this idea of being irritated and short with others. Someone asks you how your day went, you react, you snap. It was fine. What is that? The third characteristic is critical and judgmental. You find it difficult to be edifying or build up. There's nothing that you can find to say that would lift others up. It's far more natural in those moments to be critical or to judge. Sarcasm. By the way, that's not a spiritual gift as some have suggested. <laughs> I know you want it to be. It's presented as humorous, but really, it's what you really feel in the context of humor. Sarcastic people are the people I always look out for because they're the ones who are processing something. Argumentative, the tendency to turn conversations to arguments. It's like, come on, man, I was just talking about gravy. I don't want to argue about this. But a person who's allowing anger to simmer can ha has this ability to do this. The, th the one that strikes me the most is complaining. We think that separately as disconnected from anger, but complaining is a reflection of anger that's simmering, that's become personal. It cries out, not fair. Everyone is out to get you because you've made it so personal. And then, of course, there's the ever-popular passive-aggressive. You jump on the interstate at rush hour, and you get in the fast lane, and you go seven miles under the speed limit, and you let everyone behind you act out your anger. That was not a practical application for today's session. <laughs> I saw somebody writing that down. Don't, don't do that. But in all seriousness, guys, these are manifestations of anger, and I see this. And there's nothing more uncomfortable for me as a man to be in the presence of another man with his wife or with his family or with his peers, and you see this irritation, you see this sarcasm, whether it's in my life or in your life. 
it, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. And we don't want to touch it. We don't want to deal with it. And we oftentimes in our minds say, he needs to deal with his anger. He needs to stop being angry. The pathway of making it personal will always lead to a place of bitterness where eventually the anger will control you. I would suggest though the right pathway, and I want to draw our attention to this as we kind of draw this to a close, is the pathway of examination. The pathway of examination. So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. There's an urgency because anger becomes sinful quickly from being useful. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. It's cheesy, but the most helpful thing I have ever heard concerning anger, and I think this way, is to treat anger like a dashboard warning light for your heart. When the light goes off, which is anger, there's something going on in your heart because anger is always activated by your heart. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. I think about the context of, of, of the wellspring of life in Proverbs 4. Guard your heart, for out of it flows life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So when you are angry, there is a heart issue that is taking place. But in most instances in our lives, it is because as we think about this anger, there's, there's an injustice or a perceived wrong. There's a hurt. There's a fear, an unmet expectation or a need of some sort. And in those moments, Paul warns us to act quickly in our anger, but don't let it become personal. Now, clearly, guys, I'm making a distinction between the righteous sense of anger. If you walk outside today and you see another man uh, pounding on another, another man and it's unjustified in any way, there's an anger, there's something that moves in you to move and step in. That's not what we're talking about. It's about these heart issues that have occurred, these, these wounds, if you will. The way that we act quickly by examining why the warning light of anger has gone off is we do something very simple, and I'm going to illustrate this, and then I'm going to leave you with a two-fold challenge. The way that we treat anger as a warning light, it's a practical step, is we ask Jesus this question. Jesus, where is my anger coming from? Where is my anger coming from? My wife Susie and I have been married, I mentioned, for uh, almost 29 years. But on our 20th anniversary, um, we wanted to do something special. Our kids were old enough that we could leave them without getting in trouble with the law. And, uh, and so we wanted to do something nice, and we had a little bit of extra uh, money for that. And, and so rather than going to Mexico and one of the beaches or the resorts, um, we decided to invest, and this is going to sound really lame, um, we, we decided to invest in a week of intensive marriage counseling in, in Buena Vista, Colorado. Um, <clears throat> I would say that our marriage at that point was good, but there was this one thing that if we ever bumped into it, it really caused our marriage to get sideways very, very quickly. 
and, and, and we would always walk away from it in agree to disagree or honestly just got to the point we say we're just not going to go there because it never resolved and it just always left this anger. And so when we reached out to go out there, um, the counselor asked us, he said, well, what are some things you want to work on? And, and so we mentioned some things, and, and, and I happened to say, with my wife's blessing, I said, um, and how about conflict? We'd like to think about how to work through conflict. We, we have some issues in this area. And he said, great, that'd be wonderful. So we go out there, and it's, it's Monday through Friday. And Monday through Thursday, without a doubt, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, I would highly recommend every man in here who's married taking his wife out and doing this it was amazing i heard my wife's heart in a way i'd never heard it before and some of the things that she had walked through in her life it was powerful jesus met us and there was some amazing healing that happened that we didn't even know honestly was was issues it was awesome and thursday as far as i was concerned i would have paid for friday and left and not even come back because it was so good so friday we go into the counseling uh, counselor's office and we sit down and we spend about three hours with him and he says all right today we're going to work on conflict i'm thinking why would he do this we've had such a great week <laughs> And then he does the most discouraging thing at that moment he could possibly say. He said to me and Susie, he said, what's the one argument that causes you guys such frustration and anger that you can hardly even really stand to communicate? And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to ruin four days. I want my money back. And he could tell by the way that we were responding. And by the way, I have my wife's permission to tell this story. He asked me, he says, Paul, what is it? And I said, well, when my wife and I decided that we were going to have a family, we made a commitment that we would live in such a way that she wouldn't have to work and she could stay home with our kids because both of us had parents, uh, mothers who raised us in the home. And so said let's let's do this right like how dumb was I 23 didn't have kids yet I'm like yeah that sounds great um, and so I made that commitment but how we saw that commitment playing out in the duration of of marriage um, it's like duh you're going to be together for a long time I mean that's like till death do us part kind of a thing I didn't think through that and so through the years, as the kids were getting older, and as a dad, I'm like, they can take care of themselves. It's time for you to go back to work because the agreement was when the kids are able to be insufficient, then she would go back to work because we were going to need that to help get into these final years um, of our lives. I make it sound like I'm dying tomorrow, but you know. And so that moment when that would happen in her mind was here, in my mind it was here. And so I, 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 I would bring it up on occasion, but I knew it was like really tense. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, whew, you could feel cut tension. So it would bring it up in an underhanded kind of way, but it always got ugly and it got ugly quick. And every single time we brought this up, it was without a doubt the most intense arguments in our relationship to the point that we labeled it don't talk about it we're just not going to touch it and so he says okay let's talk about that <laughs> he says but before we do that I just want to pray for you guys and so we prayed and he said Jesus 
we invite you into this conversation and we want you to show us where this anger is coming from in Paul and Susie's heart. Amen. Now, I'm a systems guy. To me, that doesn't feel like it's going to work. But I'm thinking, he's here, I'm here, let's do this. And so he says to Susie, Susie, we're going to start with you. Why do you get so angry when this issue is brought up? And within a matter of, of seconds, my wife was in tears. And this is what she said. She said, I feel like every single day I'm losing my kids and they're going to be gone eventually. And I don't want to waste any time that I have while they're here in our home. I got to tell you guys, in that moment, I'm like, give me the biggest jerk of the year award. I was broken by that. My eyes were filled with tears. I saw my wife for the first time telling me what was going on in her heart, moving past this rage. And my wife is, she's a sweet lady, but she can get mad with the best of them. And it wasn't there. She moved right past that and she just said, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling this sense of loss that my kids, our kids, they're growing up so fast and now we're empty nesters. And my goodness, this story gets me every time. And I'm sitting there going, this is amazing. It worked. We're done. And the counselor looks at me and he says, no, 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 no. Her anger is not your anger. Why are you getting so angry? And then it hit me. My greatest fear as a man is to never have enough. Guys, I'm not talking about like a, a, like a place on the lake and then a place up north and a place in Florida. I'm just, I'm just talking about a home. Like my greatest fear is to be 75 with my wife under a bridge in downtown Des Moines. And so as I began to express my heart, I said, I'm afraid that we're not going to have enough and we're going to get to this point and we're going to just be in trouble. And my wife heard my heart. We've been married almost 29 years. We have not argued about that issue once. It hasn't even remotely stirred any anger. And I'll tell you why. Because now we understand one another's heart. Anger is a warning light for our heart. I literally thought that that would be the one thing that would ruin our marriage or it would be the one thing that would always feel heavy on our marriage and Jesus healed us of that that day. Simple. When we stop making it personal and examine our hearts, we begin to understand what's going on. Here's my challenge, it's twofold. Number one, if anger has become personal for you, and I'm not saying this to be dramatic, get help immediately because the end of that road is bitterness if you're not already on it.
And if you came with some other guys and you're not sure if you're on it, if you trust them, ask them, because trust me, they will know. They will know. My commitment to you today is not just to throw this out there, but I mentioned this to Steve when I talked to him this week. I will be around today. I would love to spend most of the day connecting with guys that need to talk about this. I'm ready to do that. And I'll stay around in the front. So if you want to set up a time later, I would love to do that. But if you're here with other guys, you got to begin to ask for and reach out for that help. Second challenge is this, because every single one of us will encounter anger, you need to think about how you're going to respond. What's your plan? When I got home from the coffee shop, I sat down with my wife and I said, I need to process this with you. And you know what I discovered? I wasn't really angry at that lady. I am just so frustrated with everything right now. I'm sick of the politics. I'm sick of the fighting. I'm sick of the effect it's having on the church. I am just sick and tired of all of that. And to be able to process that was incredibly helpful and beneficial. It doesn't mean those things don't, still don't irritate me, but I see when those are coming and I know when it's coming. I'm able to walk through that with Jesus and with those who love, who love me and I trust myself with them. So develop a plan. How are you going to respond? How are you dealing with anger? Many of you guys have been taught to stuff it or to stop being angry. It's time to stop. Stop trying to be angry. And not be angry, but understand and invite Jesus into a time of examination. Last one, I'm going to add a third. And this is only for guys who are husbands and fathers. Some of you came here today and the issue of anger is not necessarily you in your home or in your marriage. It's the person you're married to or one of the people that you have spiritual authority over. Here's the third challenge. Don't enable sinful anger in the lives of those you love. Some of the greatest challenges I had in full-time ministry as a pastor were with some women in some of the churches, and I had angry men too, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not the case, who were so angry and bitter. But husbands, Godly men, men who love Jesus, who refused to love them by saying to them and stepping into their life, you can't do this anymore. This is wrong. To lovingly, prayerfully confront and say, because I love you, you can't do this. And the same with our children. As leaders, we have a responsibility to pray first for them in order to make sure there is not a log in our eye and then to step into their lives and be committed to instruct them concerning anger that they might find healing and choose the pathway of examination. Does that make sense? And you're like, yeah, that's my least favorite of the three. I know. But that's what it means by God's grace to lead in our marriage, and in our home. Thanks again for listening to the Hidden Acres podcast. 
A reminder that one of the segments we'd like to start is camper and staff stories. So if you've got a good story to share on the podcast, email podcast at hacamps.org. To find out more about Hidden Acres, visit hacamps.org or look us up on social media. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.